Good morning. Isn't it good to be together in the presence of God, knowing that he is here with us and inviting us to drink of his spirit, to hear from his word, and to go forth knowing that we are forever changed because we have met with him here today. My name is Kurt, and I am one of the pastors here. A special welcome to you. If you're visiting with us, we hope that you feel the presence and the power of God in this place. We are wrapping up today our six-week series that we've been calling Shift, and I think it's fun, fun, loosely, and appropriate that we sing that old familiar hymn today, Amazing Grace. You know, Amazing Grace may be the one song that is the most familiar hymn to most people, at least in our country. I mean, even people who don't go to church, even people who are not Christians know Amazing Grace, and they could probably sing it. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now. It's in our blood, it's in our bones, it's in our culture. And you understand what what the song Amazing Grace is talking about is a shift in our experience of life because of Jesus? I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. My, My whole experience of life in this world has been shifted because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Because he not only died for my sins, but he rose again from the dead and he is alive today so that we celebrate the presence and the power of God in this place through his Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, what we recognize as we look outside the four walls of the church into the the culture and the community in American society and even in our neighborhoods is that even though many people know that song and can sing the words, they don't know what that shift feels like in their own lives because they have not met Jesus face to face yet. And see, shift is about following Jesus. That's what the whole purpose of this series has been about, is to understand that discipleship to Jesus, following Jesus, is about allowing the power of God and the word of God and the presence of God to transform our attitudes and our hearts and our minds and even our perspectives on why we're alive and living on planet Earth. Discipleship to Jesus means a lifestyle shift from being a people who follow our own designs and our own plans and our own wants for our lives toward being a people who follow the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit each moment, each day in a living, breathing, vital relationship with God as we go through our lives, not only in church for an hour on Sunday morning, but in our homes and in our workplaces and as we walk down the street and as we meet our neighbors and as we sit at the restaurant with all the people from our community around us. It's about allowing God to shift our focus from being a community that that responds to and follows our own desires to one that follows the Spirit's desires and understands that God has a mission for us to pursue and to fulfill as his hands and feet in the world. Last week, if you were here, we talked a little bit about how God wants to change our perspective on the world around us. And as we look outward, we we can often fall victim to fear and anxiety, recognizing that the world is changing and it's not what we're familiar with and it's not what we're used to or what we grew up with. And like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, we can say, Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. 
and we can shrink back in fear and be afraid, or we can understand that the world has never been a safe, stable place, and that's why Jesus came. That's why he has saved us, and that's why he has called us to go out into the world and share his love and this message of good news that even though this world isn't the way it's supposed to be, there is help and there is hope in the name of Jesus. As we've been going through our listening campaign over the last nine months now, and we've been talking and sharing about our heart and who we think we are, we've also done studies of our community, the demographics around our church here and in the wider area in East Pierce County and, and understanding who our neighbors are and what, is it, it, what are the people like in this mission field to, to which we've been called. And what we're recognizing, and, and it's no surprise to us, is that fewer and fewer people in our community and in our culture see any value in Christianity or going to church. Those who do and, and, and are coming to church, on average, attend about one out of every three Sundays, if you're lucky. Studies suggest that people are much less concerned with religious matters in their lives, and they're much more focused on the basics of life and family. And, and how can they be pursuing their hopes and their dreams and, and what they would like to achieve and accomplish in their lives and finding opportunities for recreational activities and outlets in the midst of their over-busy, over-stressed lives, trying to stay healthy and trying to have fun in the midst of what can often be a toilsome, difficult existence in this world. Unfortunately, most people out there likely don't have any inkling of how a relationship with Jesus has anything to do with all of those things. Now, as we also have talked in our listening campaign and we look inside our church and who we are, we recognize that we probably buck the trend of a lot of these percentages out there in our culture because we recognize that we really have a solid faith community of people who love each other and care about each other and have stuck by each other through thick and thin. We have a church that is going into the community to serve the needs of those who are are poor and, and need help. We desire to teach and train people about the word of God and to stay Bible-based and Christ-centered. And we have an ongoing passion to continue to send people and to support missions work around the world. By all accounts, we have a great church. And we have great potential and we feel excited about where God is leading us and that, that there's more ministry to do and there's more experiences to be had in God's kingdom as a part of Faith Covenant Church. And we have a, a heart to continue to be faithful followers of Jesus in this place. But even as significant as our faith community is and our experience of church is for us who are here, it still doesn't change the external reality of what is happening with all the other people who are out there in our community. Some estimates suggest that maybe 10% of people are experiencing church in the way that we're experiencing church, and the rest of the 90% are lost and without a clue as to who Jesus is in their lives. I'd like to ask us some what-if questions this morning. What if our current pattern of living as Christians and as a church is actually getting in the way of our ability to participate in God's mission in the world. Let me ask that again. What if our current pattern of living as Christians and as doing church is actually getting in the way of our ability to participate in God's mission to the world? 
Or maybe asking it another way, what if we are well-intentioned but unwittingly contributing to barriers that prevent the good news of Jesus Christ from reaching and impacting the people in our culture and in our communities? If so, what, if anything, would we be willing to do about it? You see, this invitation to shift is to allow God to change our perspective and to open the doors to see things in new ways, to understand things that maybe we didn't realize before, not necessarily from any fault of our own, but because in a new season, in a new time, God might be wanting to do a new thing. And if we're not sensitive to the Spirit, if we're not willing to perceive it, if we're not willing to allow God to open our hearts and our minds to what He wants us to do, we might contribute to the problem rather than being part of the solution. This is really nothing new for Christians and for churches. If we go back to God's Word and we look at the story of Acts at the beginning of the church, we understand that those early Christians struggled with the same challenges. After Jesus rose from the dead and he met with his disciples and he blew everybody's minds, they went around sharing the good news of Jesus with all their Jewish brothers and sisters saying, Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one from long ago. God is building his kingdom among Israel and we're going to rule the world. And they had many, many converts to Christianity early on. But what they didn't realize is that there was an entire world out there that God has his sights on, not just the Hebrew people. That Jesus' gift of new life and forgiveness and resurrection was for the whole world, for people of all nations and all tribes and all tongues. But because they had their focus inward on only the Hebrew culture and that they were the people of God, they missed that they were a part of that mission of love to an entire Gentile world. But if we look back, I want to look at the beginning of Acts real quick. Chapter 1, verse 8. We see Jesus' vision for what the disciples would do now that he had accomplished this great gift. In verse one, chapter, eight, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And does it stop there? And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus had a big vision for his church. Jesus called his disciples to share that vision and to see that their calling was to participate in this mission of God to the whole world. In Acts 10, Luke goes on to give an account of an essential and crucial shift that needed to take place in order for Jesus' vision to become a reality. I'm going to turn with you to chapter 10. We're not going to be able to read the whole chapter because it's a long story, but I encourage you to, to read the story this week and to reflect on it and contemplate and pray about it. And what God may have for you in this story might be even more than we can talk about this morning. But this is the story of Jesus, of Jesus, of the apostle Peter and a relationship that God leads him into with a Roman centurion named Cornelius. In verse 1, it says, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. 
He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. Now, scholars suggest that that means that they had converted uh, to Judaism. They, they were believers in the one true God and the God of the Old Testament. And he was praying and worshiping God and his whole family had come to believe with him. But he didn't yet hear or know the good news of what Jesus had done. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius? Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them on to Joppa. Now, let's just pause here for a minute and and look at who this man is that God is going to send Peter to talk to. He's... He's a believer in God broadly. He's, he wants to live a good life. He's doing the best he can to, to lead his family and to have a whole healthy family. But, but he doesn't know Jesus yet. And yet God is at work in his life. God is speaking into his heart. And, and yet there's an obstacle. God can't take him any further because he hasn't heard the good news of Jesus. Peter becomes a necessary part of God's plan in Cornelius' life. So we cut to Peter, and in the story, if you read through the chapter, Peter is a a God-fearing, devout Christian, Christ follower now, and he's he's praying, and he's doing all of his religious duties, and he goes up on his house to pray on, on the roof, and it says that he's hungry. And you can imagine his stomach's probably growling, and he's trying to pray and concentrate. And and he, too, has a vision from God where where God lowers this sheet or this cloth from heaven. And in the cloth is all kinds of animals that you could eat. And God says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And, And Peter says, oh, no, 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 these animals are not approved kosher animals meat for us to eat as Hebrew people. I have never allowed anything unclean to pass my lips. I am not going to do that. God, this is a test, right? (laughs) Three times God gives him the same vision saying, Peter, rise and eat. And what Peter begins to realize is that God has a deeper message, that it's not about religious rules and duties. God has something greater for him to understand that this gospel message of Jesus Christ has has more impact for Peter and for the early church and, and for the whole world than he originally thought. And God says, hey, there's, there's some people coming who, who are going to ask you to go visit with somebody. I want you to go with them. And just about that time, right? The people had come from Cornelius and they knock on the door. Isn't God's timing perfect? <laughs> right? God always confirms things so well by his timing. Peter says, okay, I'll go with you. They go to Cornelius's house. They walk in. And not only is Cornelius there, but he's invited his friends, his entire family. There's a whole crowd of people that Cornelius has said, hey, God has sent me to bring this guy to talk to us. You got to hear what he's going to say because it's going to be great. In verse 27, he says, while, while talking with Cornelius, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a, or visit a Gentile. 
But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius goes into this whole story about how God has been working in his life and God has been speaking to him and God sent him to talk to Peter and, and, and he didn't know why, but, but he needed Peter to come and talk to him and Peter begins to unfold the whole story of Jesus and that Jesus had come and that he had sacrificed his life, but God didn't leave him dead and he raised him to new life so that all people could experience forgiveness from their sins and that Jesus was alive and he met with his disciples and he gave them this mission to fulfill and now Peter's realizing, oh my gosh, it's not just for us Hebrews. It's for Cornelius and his family too. And jumping to verse 43, he's wrapping up the story and he says, all the prophets testify about him. The whole Old Testament scriptures testify about Jesus. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, these righteous Hebrew people who had come with Peter, were astonished that the Holy Spirit was given to Gentiles too. Oh my goodness, what is God doing? For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Then they asked Peter to go away. (laughs) They asked Peter, stay a while. Stay with us. Build a relationship with us. Have dinner with us. Let us get to know you more. Tell us more about this Jesus. Tell us about who he is in your life. Tell us about what God has done. Encourage us. Become a part of our community. Become a part of our family. So many times, we may have blind spots to the ways that God might be wanting to use us to be a blessing to those in our lives who are not currently part of our inner circle of friends or family. And we are invited to meet God personally and to be transformed by that experience so that we can then go and share that testimony with other people who God also wants to meet and transform and get to know. The problem is that in Peter's day, there was this cultural barrier. There was this huge gap between Jews and Gentiles. And so even though Cornelius wanted to believe in God, there was no way for him to hear the message of Jesus because Jews didn't associate with Gentiles. And unfortunately, even though we don't have the same religious convictions as those early Jews did, I think by default, many Christians who go to church today don't ever associate with the non-Christian people out in the culture. And I firmly believe that scripture is very clear. And from my own stories that I've heard from other people, that the Holy Spirit is out there working in the lives of people, whether the church is out there or not. God is speaking to people. God is drawing people. God is preparing people to hear and receive the good news message of Jesus Christ. But as the Apostle Paul said, how can they hear if no one will go and tell them? And I think similarly, we struggle in our day having this gap of relationship with people who don't know Jesus. 
And if the Holy Spirit is going to use us to to make disciples of all people in all nations, we've got to learn how to build those bridges of relationship again and get connected with the world around us. What are the cultural or ethnic or lifestyle barriers that keep us from being in relationship with people who aren't like us? What is it that prevents the gifts and the talents and the resources that we have in our faith community from being things that we are offering and giving away to other people on behalf of the kingdom of God? Is it our own busyness? Is it our own laziness? Is it our own fear and anxiety? Is it our own sense of religious propriety that we don't want to lose our holiness by being stained by those unrighteous sinners out there? That might be their perception of us. But you see, the problem of church in our day is simply that we are not in relationship with people who don't know Jesus, or at least not significantly enough as part of our mission as a church. The conversation of Cornelius also highlights for us an example of a so-called outsider of the faith helping to shape Peter's experience of his relationship with Jesus. Do we understand that our relationship with Jesus is incomplete if we're not also learning from those people that God wants us to be serving in his name. It's as we sacrifice and serve in God's name that we learn more about who God is shaping us and calling us to be. And we need those experiences. We need to see Christ in the face of others. You see, God had arranged this relationship between Peter and Cornelius as a kind of divine appointment. You you understand, you can't program this. Right? You can't manufacture divine appointments. It's not like you can go out and as a church say, we're going to create divine appointments. No, we, God creates divine appointments. That's why it's a divine appointment. But we can prepare ourselves. We can help ourselves to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. And so that when God creates those opportunities to share our testimony and share the love of Jesus, to be a blessing to others, we can recognize, ah, this is God's working in my life. This is God's opportunity. Many of you know some of the story of our family in this last year, which has been, you know, varied and, you know, moving across country and coming to a new place. And and, and, and we kind of have had a divine appointment in our lives this year too. I I wish I could take credit for it, but really Tammy gets more of the credit for her sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. But as you've heard, if you've been here and heard some of our story, you know, we moved into a new house and we found a place in Bonnie Lake and we registered Lucas at Don Eliasman School and he got to ride the bus for the first time because he always wanted to ride the bus. And so Tammy started taking him to the bus stop, which is kind of right there in our neighborhood. And at the bus stop, she sees a woman who is an immigrant from China who hardly speaks English. And the Holy Spirit says to her, you need to go meet that woman. You need to go talk to that woman. And to Tammy's credit, she responded and she went, hey, I think I'm supposed to talk to you. And Lou Jin and Tammy had a divine appointment and they struck up a conversation and they started a friendship. And lo and behold, she and her husband, Wes, were believers and and they started coming to our church. And then through Lujin, we had another divine appointment because we found out that there was this young man named Troy who had come to the United States as a student 
and was not in a good living situation. And God kept putting on Lou Jin's heart that you need to talk to Kurt and Tammy about having Troy come and live with them because, you know, that just, and she's like, no, I don't want to do that. But finally she gave in and said, okay. She was obedient. She told Tammy, hey, would you consider having Troy come and live with you? So Tammy came to me and, and I said, heck no. <laughs> Absolutely not. We have just moved across the country. We've uprooted our family. We've got a, a new job in a new church. We're not even settled yet. We can't consider bringing in a teenager from China. No. And to Tammy's credit, she said, well, I kind of feel like this is God's prompting. Would you at least pray about it? Okay. <laughs> I'll pray. And of course, we prayed and we got to meet Troy and we felt very clearly that God was saying, yes, we need to invite Troy into our home. And so we did. And, and, and we didn't know what that meant or what would come from that. And, and, and Tammy had been doing ESL kind of classes with Lujin and her son Ivan on Tuesday nights. And so four days into Troy moving into our house on a Tuesday night at an ESL workshop that Tammy's leading, Troy says, how do I accept this Jesus? And Tammy and Lu Jin were able to tell him how to do that. And he did. And we were able to baptize Troy at our all-church camp out this summer. What a blessing for us. We couldn't manufacture that. It wasn't our greatness. We have to, God has had his hand on Troy's life way before he ever came into our lives. We were simply able to be there at the right moment to share the story of Jesus and his love for Troy and for us. And now, Troy's friend Max has come to the United States to follow in his footsteps. And his mom, Savannah, and sister, Sonny, have been here for several weeks. And they've been attending our church and visiting with us. And we get to share Jesus with them, too. And we have a growing family. In fact, I couldn't even sit in the pew with them this morning. They filled the pew. We can't manufacture these things. We can't create them ourselves, but we can prepare ourselves. We can train one another how to understand the ways that God works in people's lives and the way that he wants to use us to share the good news message of Jesus Christ with all those that he might call us. And we can work together to build bridges of relationship with people in our community so that those divine appointments can begin to happen. What if we in this new season of life as a church are being invited to see and to reach the community around us in, in brand new ways? What if we're being called to shift our sense of mission, not just to notice and respond to the emergency crises in our community, but to build ongoing friendships and relationships with our neighbors and our coworkers and the people we live with in our community? How might that shift our perspective and our experience of what it means to be church together? As we've been going through the listening campaign, and this will all be a part of the report that will be coming out hopefully soon. We're working on it. There are three things that come out that I would like to suggest are connection points for us with our community. Things that we can do to build these bridges of relationship that God might use to allow us to pursue his mission with our world. And these three things are things that we already do with one another. The first one is what I want to call whole life discipleship. Whole life discipleship. 
We have a community out there that is deeply concerned about the basics of life and family and relationship. And they don't see that the church is relevant to their lives. What if we were a place and our community began to know that if you have trouble in your marriage, you can go to Faith Covenant Church and they're going to help you with your marriage. What if, what if you had people who are struggling in their, their career path and they weren't sure what they were supposed to do or how to gain new skills and, and, and someone said, hey, you know what? Faith Covenant Church has some help for that. If you go there, they can help you learn how to navigate your career or your finances or plan for retirement. What if we meet some parents who are out there who are pulling their hair out because their kids are going crazy and you talk to them and you're like, they never gave me the manual when we had the kids. You say, well, why don't you come to Faith Covenant Church? We have help for parents who are in situations just like yours. Wow. You mean church has something to offer me in my area of concern with what I'm focusing on? Yeah, in fact, why don't I come with you? And why don't we continue to meet and talk about how we can help you be a better parent? How we can help you navigate caring for your aging mom or dad who's really struggling and and it's hard and it's challenging. In fact, we have a group of people who are going through the same thing. They'd love to meet with you and share that journey together. What if we were a place that didn't just offer Christian education with information that people can use and need, but we also took that information and helped them apply it in every area of their life so that we're creating whole life disciples, not just good thinkers, but good livers. I think that would be a great way to build some bridges into our community. A second thing we could do is what I'm calling recreational evangelism. We hate that word evangelism, right? Ooh, I have to go out and convert people? That's not what evangelism is. You know, evangelical is the root word is good news, right? Gospel. It's good newsing people. So we can good news people through recreation. I mean, how many people enjoy playing sports, hiking in the woods, playing an instrument, have a woodworking hobby? Anybody? You guys don't have any hobbies? Sewing, knitting, making wine. (laughs) Drinking wine. There you go. You know what? The people out there in our culture like doing the same things. And they're out there doing those things. Imagine if we as a church saw the opportunity to do what we're already doing and say, hey, you want to come and do this with me? And have that as an opportunity to get to know somebody, build a relationship, doing a shared activity that you enjoy doing and allowing God to create the divine appointment, to create the opportunity to share the good news when he's ready and in his timing. You realize we don't convert people, right? That's not our job as a church. We don't convert people. God converts people. Conversion is when somebody meets the living God face to face and they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have met God and they fall to their knees and they say, oh my God, I believe. And it's only after believing that they have a relationship with God that all the teaching and the doctrine begins to make sense. Doctrine doesn't convince people. God convinces people. Our job is to not convert people. It's to introduce them to Jesus. 
It's to build a relationship with them, to love them, encourage them, so that they begin to see that there is a God and that they can know him too. The last place that we can build bridges of relationship in our culture is through community service. Our church has a passion and a commitment to be involved in our local community. We are involved at Daffodil Elementary School and the Sumner Family Center and in all kinds of ways. I mean, we have a laundry list of things that our church is involved in doing that you all are out there doing. Do you understand that the demographic studies also suggest that the people out there in the, in the culture who don't go to church have a passion for community service? They want to be involved in their community. They want to make a difference in the world. Can you imagine what it would do for people's perception of church if they could serve alongside Christians doing the kinds of things that Jesus called us to do? Wow, maybe church is relevant to our culture. Maybe church has an impact to play. Maybe I'd like to hear a little bit more about this, Jesus. What if all the things that we're already doing, we simply turned and invited our neighbors and our friends and the people in our community to do along with us because it's something that they're already interested and passionate about doing. Maybe it's not as hard to connect with our culture as we think. Maybe our blinders are on and we need God to open our eyes, to shift our perspective, to see that all we have to do is allow him to lead and he will create the ways that he wants to use us to be a blessing to others. Sometimes it's hard to see what our blind spots are because they're blind spots. (laughs) We don't know what they are. And that's why we need to ask God through his word and through his spirit to shift our minds and our hearts and our perspectives to see with his eyes, to be awakened to his call and to pursue his mission in the world. I'd like to close with the words of Jesus whose grand vision for his church is his vision for our church still today. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Sumner, in Ording, in Bonnie Lake, in Puyallup, in Auburn, in Congo, in Kenya, and Chile, and to the ends of the earth, wherever the Spirit may lead. Amen. Let's pray.